would like to to share with you guys something tonight that we don't often hear in in the church worldwide, um, which is a shame because it's actually just the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, we might hear part of it. We hear, um, you know, half of it, um, a manipulation, a mixture of it. Um, but I would I would love to share with you tonight some of the things that are the essential elements of the gospel. I'm going to talk about what it means to be born again. Um, and I want to talk about what it means to come into the true life of Christ. Um, but before we do that, there's some real essential things that we need to grasp, um, often that we, we don't understand because they've never been preached before. Um, and so uh, there's just been a scripture that's been going around my mind for the last number of months. It's actually in Lamentations. Have you guys heard of the book of Lamentations? What's it? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a fun one if you're if you're um, under the judgment of God. But th- this book is is actually a book of grief. It's a book of mourning. And um, the guy that wrote it, Jeremiah, he's I, I I find him incredibly fascinating. He he's a man of such of such compassion, um, and yet he's. And well, because of that compassion, God uses him to bring uh, words of judgment. Um, and what's fascinating about God is that his mercy is actually revealed in his judgment, um, that you can't have one without the other. And it's because of, of this judgment that we see his divine mercy at work. So um, it's Lamentations 2. Um, it's just after Jeremiah. Um, actually, I'll just I'll just say it. It just says um, you can look it up later. Lamentations two. He says this. He says, "O virgin daughter of Zion, for your ruin is as great as the sea. Your prophets have seen for you wise and foolish visions, and have not revealed your uh, have not revealed your iniquity. So has to so as to fret. Sorry." They have not revealed your iniquity so as to set you free from captivity. Interesting, interesting. O virgin daughter of Zion. Does anybody know what Zion represents in the Bible? An idea? Lots of things, no ideas. Often, Often this word Zion is representative of the people of God. Um, and so he starts this off, O virgin daughter of Zion. What's a virgin? What's it? Something without blemish. So, he's, so who do you think he's speaking to in this particular passage? Is he speaking to the lost? His people. In that context, Israel. But we know um, for Ecclesiastes, what has been is what will be. So... Israel is is a typology of um, um, of our spiritual condition today. It says, "O virgin daughter of Israel, uh, O virgin daughter of Zion, your ruin is as vast as the sea. Your prophets have seen to you um, false and foolish visions, and have not revealed your iniquity, so to set you free from captivity." Um, what's iniquity? Sin. Just sin. So. Is it doing a bad action? Iniquity, iniquity is lawlessness. It's, it's a rebellion in the hearts of mankind. 
So he's saying, oh, oh virgin daughter, my people. And, and then he goes on to talk about their iniquity. And then the most fascinating words, they have not revealed your iniquity. They have not revealed what's truly in your heart so as to set you free from captivity. Interesting, captivity. We sing so many songs about freedom, about life, about being set free. But we forget the precursor. They have not revealed your iniquity, the rebellion in your heart. They have not revealed, exposed what's truly there to allow a healing to come. And so I'd just like to start tonight by talking a a little bit about the human heart and and what's in the human heart so that my, my hope and prayer is that you that you stick with me in this part so that we can together come into the into a true freedom. Not, not just a, a freedom that we talk about, sing about, a true freedom where the depth of work is done inside of us by the, by the Spirit of God. Um, anyway, all right, let's have a look. So the heart of man. Um, this is potential. This is one of the most essential parts of the gospel. Because if you don't get this, you have no concept of the salvation of God. You have no concept of the mercy of God, the grace of God, or the love of God. Because that love and that grace was demonstrated, um, and because of our depth of sin, our depth of rebellion against God. So this is Genesis six verse five. This says this, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Quite a few blank stares. I don't think you've actually heard what I'm saying. I'm going to read it again. All right. Remember, we, we, all, kind of, we all kind of prayed at the start that we would listen, hey, um, that we would actually hear What's going on? Because you know what happens when most people read scriptures is that there's just this turning off across the whole auditorium and that's, oh yeah, whatever. Listen. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Who's, who's a man or who's a human being? Oh, so this, alright, this is inclusive of you right now, alright? I'm not talking about, I'm talking about you. The wickedness of, you can insert your own name here. And God saw that the wickedness of Sam Willis was great in the earth and that every imagination, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Still so blank. All right. Maybe I'll just, I'll have to explain it for you. That every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So he doesn't say that inside of my heart um, there are some things that are good and th- some things that are evil. He doesn't say out of here comes when I when I go down into I don't know um, Courtney Place and find a drug addict and give him some food and money. That was a good thing coming out of my heart. That's a good thing that I did. Um, and and that I don't know when I do some sort of sin um, that was bad. You know, he says, every thought and imagination of the heart were only evil continually. So there's no, there's no good thing. There's no hope of good. 
um, in case you believe that that's only an Old Testament scripture, I'll give you a New Testament scripture. Romans chapter 3, and the title of the scripture is All the World Guilty. Who's, who's in the world here? Who's part of this world? Oh, so this is talking about you again. All right, so you can insert your name here. All right, and it says, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Whoa. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. Interesting, eh? No one sought for God. So how how are you all here? If you didn't you didn't seek God, but yet you're here. I, anyway, maybe it's something that we'll be able to look at a bit later. So the best example that I can think of to demonstrate this concept, just in case we're still we still don't have those ears to hear, is um, is capitalism or economics. Who likes economics? Is there any economics people here? No one, only me. <laughs> All right. Economics is fascinating because it, um, it, it really it's um, concerned with consumer behaviour, and actually, I reckon it really reveals the heart of man um, and the and the motivation behind all of their decisions. And actually, just on, um, while we're on this topic, um, in Revelation, it actually talks about um, this great mystery Babylon and this whole world system that has captured and seduced the people of God to itself with its lust and its seduction. Um, so it's quite interesting that economics is in the Bible too. Anyway, capitalism. What, does anybody know what capitalism is? Carl? Great. Yep, absolutely. Um, so that's the first part of the definition. I'll read it out to you. Good old Wikipedia. It says this, Capitalism is an economic system in which trade, industry, and the means of production are controlled by private owners with the goal of making profits in a market economy. All right, so, cap- so capitalism is it's virtually all of our buying and selling, all our shops and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and it's founded on this one essential understanding that all of our buying and selling, that the, the essential key foundation is in order to make a profit. It's a pretty simple way. Would you agree with that? The foundational underlying um, motivation for all decision making is to make a profit. So why does this reveal the human heart? Um, I was just sitting and eating my wheat bix for breakfast um, and on the side of the wheat bix box, has this really fascinating um, advertisement, and it's for the Weetbix Kids Triathlon. Who used to do those when they were a kid? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, and it has all the sponsors down the side. And remember, we've got capitalism, um, the underlying motivation for all trading, for all business is to make a profit, right? So, so I found here Toyota's advertising. It says, Toyota, helping Kiwi kids achieve their dreams. We believe that if you can dream it, you can do it. Is that a good thing? Is that good of Toyota to help those kids out? Um, well, let's see. Let's go back to the foundation. Oh, the foundation of this whole economic system is 
with the goal of making a profit. So the only motivation that Toyota would have to help Kiwi kids is that they help them, but so that they can make a profit. Some businesses are not quite as out there as that. You you just know, you know, um, loan sharks, you know, <laughs> you just hear the word loan shark, you know that they're out to make a profit, you know. So sometimes this looks real obvious and sometimes it looks so subtle, right? Doing good. Um, Toyota are doing a good thing, but the underlying foundation is what? Profit, selfish gain. And so that, I believe, um, exemplifies the human heart. Because we can do so many good things, eh? I've got, um, I know, you know, with my friends, I've got lots of Muslim friends, I've got lots of non-Christian friends, especially from, from high school, and some of the Muslim guys are, are real nice. I remember a guy, uh, one of my Muslim friends on my football team, he taught me to drive a, a an automatic car. That was so nice of him. His petrol, you know, nice, um, nice guy, you know. Um, you know, my grandma, who's, who's, um, doesn't believe that Jesus is a saviour. She's one of the nicest people I know. She sends me money every every birthday. Um, but yet, so you can do good things. You can be a good person. You can be a bad person. But remember, just like, like I said with capitalism, the underlying motivation was self-gain. And so that's for us. This is what this is what the Bible says. This is not my not my opinion. This is what the Bible says. Is that Remember what we read at first. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Are you aware of that for yourself? Uh, Because I can read it from the Bible. Are are you you aware of that state of, of your heart? Or is it just a... Whatever. So like I talked about, we can do good things, we can do bad things. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. We've talked lots about the scripture. It seems almost a scripture that's almost inappropriate to talk about in this sort of building. Does anybody know what filthy garments actually represent? What 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 do I represent, Simon? <laughs> I don't want to. What's that? Oh, woman's menstrual cloth. Whoa. So, can we even can we talk about this in in church? <laughs> I don't know. It's in. I don't know. It's. Why did God write this in the Bible? You know, <laughs> I don't I don't understand. But it's. All right. So that's. It's funny, but it's not funny. You know, it's funny, but this is potentially one of the most serious things for us to come in and realize. For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our, listen to this, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy rag. He doesn't say all our sinful deeds are like a filthy rag. He says all our righteous deeds, all the deeds that come out of your own self, your own ability, your own nature to God, like capitalism, they're filthy. He, and he gets the most disgusting and repulsive example that he can find. And he can say, this is what your righteousness looks like. This is what your natural ability to be good is like. It's completely and utterly defiled. Why? Why is that? Because it has the underlying foundation of self and self-gain. This is the, the nature of 
the human heart. Um, I just have here. We do not realize that everything that issues from our natural life is inherently evil and against God. We live lives of total and complete rebellion against God. Um, all right. We have fallen short of who he is, his divine character, his holiness, his love, his humility, his selflessness, and have turned to loving and worshiping ourselves and our own desires. And like I said, this is, I don't have the luxury of standing up here and sharing with you my own opinion of God. This is, this is what God says about your heart. This is what God says about your heart. And so I think the seriousness of it is demonstrated in the, in, um, in the punishment that he would actually be prepared to send people to death and how eternal separation and eternal punishment because of the depth of rebellion against him. And this is what sin is. It's not doing a bad thing. It's, it's rebellion against God. Um, and, and that's what the, the punishment is. It's that you have, cho- you have chosen to go your own way and that deserves it actually deserves death. And you know, I, I hear so often people saying, like, we need to get out and evangelize because people deserve to hear the gospel. They, they deserve a chance of eternal life. Actually, no, they don't. Did you know that you don't deserve eternal life? Did you know that your that nature, that rebellion, um, which has manifested in all sorts of sin and actions against them, do you know that that actually deserves death and eternal separation from God, that's that. God is a God is a just God. He is the most loving being in the entire universe, and and he has, and he has said that 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 rebellion um, and out of love, he has said that that deserves death. It deserves hell. <coughs> Numbers fourteen verse eighteen. He says, "The Lord is slow to anger and abundant, abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression." But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. What a beautifully fascinating scripture that is. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But, and there's a big word, but, but he will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generations. And so the first essential thing to us to understand is that we don't deserve the salvation of God, and that's why it's his divine mercy and grace. It, this, this, this rebellion against him, it, it, it deserves death, and that is what demonstrates the incredible mercy and grace of God. And unless we understand this one, we won't understand the other one, eh? Um, and, and that's the problem is that we have so many preachers preaching the love, the love, the love, the love, the love. And God is, he, he sees, I am love. Everything about it is loving. But his, he, even his love is demonstrated in his wrath and in his judgment. Eh? And this is why it's so important to have a balance, to, to, to have the full counsel of God. And that's all what I desire to do tonight is give you the full counsel of God. Um, so that when you stand before God and everything 
at the end of your life and everything in your heart is revealed because we know that we're going to have to stand before him one day and give an account for our lives. And he's going to look into our hearts and see what's truly there. Would you not rather have heard this now than come and stand before him thinking that you're completely sweet and having a massive wake-up call when it's too late to, to turn back to him and to accept his grace and mercy and enter into the process of salvation that he has for us. Um, so I've talked about the, the wrath of God um, and that that leads to the, the first part of salvation. I'm just going to talk about this very briefly. Oh, no, I'm not actually. I'm going to go to John 3. Um, John 3. If you have a Bible, go to John 3. All right. All right, so this is classic. This is classic scripture. This is classic, um, you know, uh, evangelist preaching. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So, uh, yeah, I've ta- like I said, I've talked about the, the rebellion, and now I'm going to start to to talk about the redemption. And it's so important to, to, to once again, to listen. Eh? It's so easy to um, to hear and think that we've already grasped these concepts when there's such a depth of truth for us all to um, all to come into. All right, um, all right. So there's. Two parts of being born again. He says, um, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So how do you enter into the kingdom of God? Water and the Spirit, right? Both water and the Spirit. Um, So this being born of water is representative of baptism. Um, Does anybody know what baptism represents? Death to self? Death and rebirth? Absolutely. Um, has anybody here been baptised? Lots of us, yep. So yep, like, like we've all kind of agreed on baptism is this outward, it's this representation, it's this step of obedience of, of dying to our old lives, of dying to our old selves and coming into, coming up and into this resurrection life. It's what, it's what we often um, call justification. Um, does anybody know what the word justification means? Justification. So it's the first step on our salvation process. So this is when Jesus um, it talks about how he, he died on the cross. He's covered us by his blood. Um, you might have heard of it as forgiveness of sins. Um, that, Like I talked about this depth of rebelling, deserving punishment. Jesus came in and died on the cross um, and when you when you make this decision, when you make this true and authentic repentance, this turning, this complete 180 degree turn of your old life and turn to to Christ, you you accept Him as your Savior. Um, this is this is what it means to to be justified, to be forgiven for that um, for that iniquity, for that sin, for that lawlessness. Um, 
and he exchanges your old life, your um, your your sin, your your uh, your rebellion, your disobedience for his for his perfect record. So I'm sure we've all heard of this. Um, and it leaves it leaves Paul almost gasping as he says, uh, "Who then can boast? Where then is their boasting when we see that that this is deserving of this? Where where is their boasting? Who can who can boast? Who can have any pride still in their heart? Well, I believe we can. But he's almost saying, man, in light of this this incredible sacrifice, when we were truly deserving of death, Christ." came and and took that punishment where then is their boasting um and so this is being born of um of water but it says being born of water and of the spirit and there's two essential elements to enter the kingdom that the problem is that we have separated the two and we've either preached them separate or we've or we've preached just the one um which is pray a prayer jesus will forgive you for your sins and then you go to heaven when you die um that's not the message of that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ just so you know it's not you can't have a half gospel it's either the gospel or it's not so he says you have to be born of water and of the spirit so let's look at what what does it mean to be born of the spirit i what i believe is being born of the spirit is when this obedience that decision that you made to make that 180 degree turn that complete um that complete change of your life from yourself um, to Christ, um, it's when that obedience and that surrender by the power of the Spirit it becomes real. Um, and so, the example that we have is talking about being born again. And so, what's born? It's obviously babies, right? Babies are born. Um, and so, I'm just going to have a quick look at the example of a baby, and we'll, we'll examine that and see what it means to be born again. Um, so what's real fascinating is that when the baby's in the womb, its lungs are filled with, with water or this, what's called amniotic fluid. Um, and so they are, they're alive and they're alive in the womb, but that they haven't been born yet, right? Um, so the life is so limited. All they can see is, everybody close your eyes. That's what you can see. Um, listen to this. That's probably all that you can hear. Just subtle, subtle kind of deaf noises from outside. Um, so they, they operate in a completely different way. Um, they, they breathe through this water that's in their lungs. And it's interesting that Jesus talks about being born of water and of the Spirit. So the, um, anyway, we'll come to that in a sec. Um, so, and then a baby's born. <laughs> I'm not going to go into the details of what that looks like. Um, and so there's always essential signs of life when a baby's born, right? What are some signs of life that you can expect when a when a baby's actually born? Crying, Crying? yeah. Breath, breathing, good one. Anything else? Hungry? Yeah, these are all essential signs. So. This is now. This is like absolutely ridiculous. When it, when a baby's born, you know how I talked about how its lungs were full of water or this amniotic fluid. When it's born, it, it switches from um, breathing in water 
through breathing and air. So when it's when it comes out, it takes its first breath and it's there's a completely different change in the nature of its way of operation. Alright, so it was it was somewhat alive before. It was there was, you know, but it, but there's but now when it has been born, there's a completely new way of breathing and operating. And if the baby tried to live the old way, what happened if a baby tried to continue to 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 breathe water when it was alive? It would it, it would just die within I don't know how long it would take thirty seconds I, I don't know. So there's this major switch between the old way of operating and the new way. Other signs that we can like like we've talked about there's there's crying there's a there's a desperation there's a crying out to its mother. Um, there's also a, a natural hunger. And did you know that the baby itself can find its way to its mother's breast um, to to breastfeed? Isn't that absolutely crazy? That it, it's not taught anything, but by its natural birth, it just knows how to find the baby, uh, the mother's breast, and start drinking milk. So it has a natural, authentic hunger. It doesn't have to try to be hungry. And um, and just on that subject, it didn't try to be born either. How hard do babies try to be born? How hard did you try to be born? It, you couldn't do anything to be born, all right? And so these are some essential elements we're going to get to their significance in a bit. Um, so I have here, other signs of life, feeding, crying, ah, seeing. So like I said before, when you're in the womb, you don't, you see black. When you come out, there's, oh my goodness, there's so much more to life than I thought. I thought it was just about lying here, being deaf, blind, and drinking water. And then all of it, oh my goodness, what, is, what on earth are those shoes? You know, like, um, there's, there's new sight. Um, and so the question that I'd like to ask you, have, have you been born again? I'm, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not trying to preach to people who have never heard the gospel before. But to us, have, have you been born again? Are there essential signs of new life that have come into you as a result of making this change? Remember I said a complete and 180 degree change from yourself, from everything, the foundational underlying principle of your life being self, and you made the commitment, you you turned, you made a step of obedience to get baptized, to, to enter into death to your old life, resurrection into your new life. Remember, that was of the water, but he said there's two parts. The first part is that step of obedience, the second part is it actually becoming real. So for us, do you observe that in yourself? Do you observe that in your friends? Do you have an authentic hunger for God that you didn't have to try and be hungry, you just were? Do you have a yearning for him? Do you have a crying out for him? Because Not because you have to, but because you're actually desperate for him. And if you don't have him, you think you might actually die. Have you gone from being completely and utterly blind and deaf to sit... To, to coming into this, oh my goodness, a seeing of God, a grasping of his divine character, his nature, who he is. 
from hearing just muffled sounds in the womb to learning to recognize the voice of your parents. And the most fascinating thing about the baby is that this is completely natural. It happens outside of himself. It's, he doesn't try to be born. He doesn't try to be hungry. He doesn't try to cry. It's natural and authentic. And this is, this is the most incredible thing about the gospel. And just like I talked about the, about being justified, and he says, who then can boast? It wasn't in your, remember, when your own efforts and your own ability were filthy rags, and him and his grace and him and his mercy chose to come and to and to forgive you and to give you new life. It's just the the justification is just like what we call the sanctification. Um that the being you can't uh all right, let me just think of some good words to explain it. Um we are just as dependent on him for this new life as we were for being forgiven for our sins. Um and so for me, I, um, I, I grew up going to, um, going to the rock and other Baptist churches and I, I had asked Jesus to, to be my, to be my savior. I had prayed a prayer, but all of my, all of my teenage years, I don't know if anybody else relates to this, but it, it was, they, they are hard, man. You know, they, when when you when you choose to believe in Jesus, yet this nature, remember this this iniquity is still there, that you say you've committed your life to love him, but yet in your heart you know Romans even says we're haters of God, that's the nature that lives inside of us when you choose to love him, but yet you hate him and you love yourself more than you love him, but you've committed your life to love him. And this is how Paul cries out and he says, Oh wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to Jesus Christ. And, and this is the gospel. Not only forgiveness from the penalty of sin, but a, a divine grace, the, the implanted nature, a new life, a being born again, a being born of the Spirit, an ability that was never there before. When God himself comes and imparts his divine nature, he births inside of you Christ. And, and this is what he has invited us to this new life and it's a natural life that you don't have to try, you don't have to strive, it's just there. You know, I I love reading church history, it's one of my favourite things to do. Um, I was reading over the summer a, um, a fascinating um, sermon by a guy called George Whitfield. Has anybody heard of George Whitfield? He's a preacher in the 17 and or um, or 1800s, um, and so he was preaching in a time that infant baptism was the big thing, and so everybody took their babies to be infant baptized, and then from there they um, started going to church as kids. They thought they were saved. They grew up doing the the, the Christian thing, um, and so George Whitfield. Um, he comes along and he starts preaching this message, this message that you must be born of water and of the Spirit. He, he talks, he uses this very example of a baby being born. And he says, when a baby's born, there must be signs of new life. And so for us today, we, we don't have infant baptism, but we do have the sinner's prayer. So that you put your hand up and you ask Jesus to come and forgive you for your sins and you go to heaven when you die. And so the whole, he got 
kicked out of almost every pulpit in England for preaching to the church that they needed to be born again, for insisting that because you make a decision one day or because your parents made a decision, that means you've inherited this gift of life. They're saying, no, you you must firstly be born of the water. You must make this radical change from yourself, living everything being about yourself to Christ. And remember, it's two parts being born and of the Spirit. There must be signs of new life. And so what am I saying? That everything has to be perfect straight away? No. But if a baby does not show any signs of new life, if you don't, if you don't have a natural hunger, if you, if you don't come into any form of seeing or a desire for God, maybe, maybe there's more salvation for us to come into than we ever expected. Um, you know, so many of us today, I think, in, in the church may have scraped scraped our way out of the lake of fire by a decision to follow Jesus, but we certainly will not enter the kingdom. Um, what what is what is the kingdom? Does anybody have any ideas what the kingdom is? Place a relationship with God, great answer. So he says you must be born of water and of the spirit to enter the kingdom. And so, yes, like Pam said, um, the kingdom is a place of relationship with God. It's it's the king's reign. It's the king's dominion. And, and the Bible talks about it being inside of us. Um, the depth and reality and nature, the character of Christ inside of us. Um, and so this is both now and future. So this is the salvation of God, remember, not just to forgive us from sins, but to give us the power um, the, the nature of Christ, that he would be formed inside of us, that we would come into his kingdom, his way of thinking, his way of seeing, his way of operating. Um, and that, like I said, is from being born of the Spirit, entering into the life of God and himself. And so I'd just like to quickly compare and contrast um, what these two uh lives or these two natures look like. Um, So remember, we talked at the start, your old nature, the foundation of that was self. And I'd just like to compare that to the new nature, the life of Christ and what that looks like. So I have here, the life of Christ is entirely different to the natural life in every way. They are two complete and polar opposites. It's a completely different way of thinking, living, breathing, and operating. The natural life has at its core a love for self, whereas the life of Christ has a selfless love for God. And every action, decision, or thought is defined by one of these two heart postures. Um, I have here, I'm just going to read this. The natural life is ruled by a desire to be significant or successful, whereas the, I'm going to compare and contrast. So natural life ruled by self, a desire to be significant or successful, the life of Christ, that new life, the one that the seed that's birthed inside of you when you turn to him, the life of Christ is ruled by a desire to glorify God, to do things to be seen, uh, to be not seen, to be unrecognized, um, 
for the praise of God and his glory as opposed to your own. The natural life is founded on temporary things. Um, the life of Christ on eternal things. Um, the natural life is governed by feelings and emotions, whereas the life of Christ is governed by faith. Um, the natural life is, is lived to please and serve man, whereas the life of Christ is to please and serve God. And so these things on the surface can look very similar. But like I said, it's all about a, a heart posture. It's all about the, the kingdom. It's all about the life of Christ becoming real inside of, of our hearts. And so you can do, like I said at the very beginning about actions, you can do lots of, of such good actions. You can play on the music team. You can go down into the city and hand out food. You can, um, you can preach like I'm doing now. And all of these things can be done by either our natural lives or by the divine life. And the difference being is not the action, it's the heart position. So one, that I could stand up here and preach and so in, in the hope that every one of you subtly would think that I'm so knowledgeable and I'm so awesome. I could stand up on the stage and I could, and I could play my guitar and I could be the, I could be a rock star. I could I could go into I could go into the city every day and hand out hand out food to everybody. The difference between the natural life, which is governed once again by self, and the life of Christ is what, like I said, the heart position. And so when we talk about being born again, we talk about a, a shift in every aspect of our lives and every thought and intention of our hearts from his, uh, sorry, from our nature, from our, our selfish desires to, to his selfless ones. Um, and so this is what is so incredible about God that like I talked about, um, our, our justification, which leaves Paul saying, who then can boast? It's a divine work of God and not our own ability. This process requires us to, to constantly come in and surrender ourselves to God, to lay our hearts on the altar, to ask him to, to work inside of us the nature and the, and the character of Christ. Um, that our ambitions, that our ultimate motive would change from, from self to, to Christ. Um, when, we are, when we are living out of our own natural ability, everything is hard. Like I said before, as being a... Um, as being a Christian or a so-called Christian growing up, you have a nature inside of you that loves yourself, but yet you're devoted or committed to following this person, Jesus, and everything is hard about it. And that's why we have to come into the, the, the rea- what's called the reality, the, the, the very life of Christ himself, that, that he is, he is the, um, the fundamental um, yeah, motivation for everything that we do and everything that we say. Um, all right, I have here, and this is probably this is the key verse. It says, "Jesus says that the spirit it is the spirit that gives life; the flesh profits nothing." And so, all, everything that we're talking about here is is learning to do things by the Spirit, learning to have 
firstly that the life of Christ outworked in our heart and that being the foundation for everything that we do and say in the way that we operate since the flesh profits nothing. Anything of our own ability, of our own self, we know is, is what's called filthy, la- uh, filthy, filthy rags. Um, and so um, just a last thought when we talk about our, our salvation um, just like to say, have, have, have we been saved? Have we been saved from our pride, from our jealousy, from our selfish ambition? And the Bible tells us, test, test yourself and see if you're in the faith. T- test yourself, not in the sense, have you crossed over from, from death to life? Have you been forgiven from your sins? But test yourself to see, is the life of Christ at work within you? Do you have those signs of new life? And if you do, are they, are they increasing? Are you growing? There's nothing worse than um, then coming across those those twenty year olds that act like they're two, um, just it's so unnatural. So test yourself to see: is this life maturing? Is it growing? Am I coming into greater, greater depth of this selflessness, of this humility, of this life of Christ? Um, yep, I think that's all. Does anybody have any questions?